Well, praise God. If you take your Bibles out, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's in your Old Testament. If you're a new Bible student, that's in the front section of your Bible. About halfway through the front section, you'll find the prophet Ezekiel. I'm going to be in chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. If you can't find it, we'll have it on the overhead. I'm reading from the New King James Version, beginning in verse 1. It says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there was a very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Verse 4, again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinew on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I and the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinew and the flesh came up on them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. Verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. What an amazing passage of scripture. Hallelujah. Father, I pray this morning, God, that we see the, the value and the truth that is in your word. God, it is always true. It is always yes and amen. God, there is no second guessing it, Lord. If you said it, that settles it forever. And God, I pray that you would just establish it today. God, you promised us that so shall your word be that goes forth out of your mouth. It will not return unto you void, but it will accomplish that which pleases you, God. You said that it will prosper in the thing whereunto you sent it. So God, I pray that you prosper your word today in Jesus' mighty name. And all the church said, come on. There's nothing like the word of God. Amen. 
It's the living word of God. And it's still alive today. Amen. Nothing like it. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, before I get into the word, I need to give you an update on Marcel. Y'all don't like Marcel? Marcel led better. Well, he went to, he went to the doctor's. He goes to the doctor's office. He said, I've got shingles. The reception says, said to him, says, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Here, fill out this form. So she gives him this form to fill out. And he sits over there. He fills out the form. Brings it back up. She fills, takes the form. She said, all right, have a seat. And somebody will be with you in just a minute. So a few minutes later, this other nurse comes in and says, well, says, what do you have? He says, I've got shingles. So she will say, well, come with me. And she takes him back. And she weighs him and, and takes him to a room and sits him down. A few minutes later, another nurse comes in. So what do you have? He says, I've got shingles. And so she takes his temperature and takes some blood and gives him this gown and tells him, take your clothes off, put this gown on. So he takes his clothes off, puts the gown on, he sits down. A few minutes later, the doctor comes in. The doctor says, I see that you've got shingles. He said, yes, sir. He said, well, uh, how long do you, have you had them and where are they? He said, well, I've had them for about an hour. They're on the truck out back. I don't know where you want me to put them. So I have figured out the best way to have free health care. Just get you a truckload of shingles and go to the doctor's office. You'll get a free exam, Joe. Amen. Isn't it something how we often jump to conclusions about things and about people? We see people's behavior or maybe we know their history. I would rather meet somebody I don't know anything about them. Isn't that true? Because I think of people that come into the church, many of you, I see your faces, I have no idea who some of you are. You may have a history that would embarrass Mary Magdalene. But I don't know that. And I will treat you just like the Virgin Mary because I don't know you. But if I know your history... It's a chore to try to treat you the way you ought to be treated because we will judge you based on the history we know about you. Isn't that true? So we may know people's history and, and we will pass judgment on them or we see your behavior. We make judgments. What we believe about you. Sometimes we will jump to conclusions based on what you believe about yourself. Often we jump to conclusions about people that we know nothing about. We make a lot of assumptions and presumptions about things that we don't really know all the details. And we shouldn't do that until we know all the facts. You know, when the Bible tells us, judge not that you be not judged, God is not telling us that we can't judge and make judgments. We make judgments every day. But if you make judgments based on all the facts, that's not a bad thing. In fact, you're told to do that in Scripture. But when I don't really know anything about you and I make judgment, I reach a conclusion based about you. That's what it's talking about. You don't make judgment based on presumption or, or half-truths or partial truths in that. And sometimes when we know people, we, we know everything about them, we still arrive at the wrong conclusions. Because we see people the way we see them. God sees them the way he sees them. We don't always see people the way God sees them. 
We see them through human eyes. There, there was a guy that I worked with like that when I worked for Duke Power. His name was Bones. And this was one seriously mean man. I mean, he was mean. Bones was a big man. He was a strong man and he was a brawler. He drank liquor like it was water. He ran to bars and stuff. He carried a knife in each pocket. And he didn't carry them just because he wanted to clean his fingernails with them. You understand what I'm saying? He could come out of either pocket with a knife and he would cut you with them. And he had cut people with them. He was mean. Never been in a church in a day of his life. He didn't even know what a Bible looked like. His mother passed away. He went to the funeral and he said he couldn't get past his white cross that had roses all over it. It just stuck out in his mind. And he said he had a dream about that. He's telling me about this at work one day because we would, I was a pipe fitter, worked for Duke Power. Every once in a while I'd get hooked up with, they'd send me a different welder every day. Well, they would send bones and he was a scary man. And he's telling me about this, you know. He said, I had a dream about that cross and it would ra it raised up like this and then it turned to the, the, the end, the foot of the cross and it was jabbing in my face like that. He said, it like scared me to death. And because of that dream, he went to church for the first time in his life. And over a period of time, Bones committed his life to Jesus. And his wife said she knew it was real when she came in and he was pouring his liquor down the drain. She said, because he wouldn't pour out a drop of liquor and he'd beat you up if you spilt a drop. He was just that guy, you know. Now, Jesus hadn't cleaned up his mouth yet. So people that do bones, it's like, you're a Christian and you talk like that? Well, come on, church, it takes time. And we see somebody like that, we'll make an assumption he couldn't possibly be a Christian because he's still using profanity and this and that. He, that's all the language the boy knew. I mean, it took some time for God to, to save him and, and change those things. You understand what I'm saying? But I knew Bones. I knew that his commitment and his dedication to Christ was real. And the Lord had carried me far enough to realize this is a babe in Christ. And babies make messes. You know, they poop in their diapers and stuff. And they, don't, they can't take care of themselves. You have to take care of them. You have to help them learn to, to, to walk and then to run and then to, to do for themselves. And so people would pass judgment, you know. And, and we, we see people like that. And it's like looking at a valley of dry bones. And we say, can, it, can this really live? Well, God knows. God knows if it can live or not. Now, at the time of Ezekiel's, of Ezekiel's vision, the nation of Israel looked like they had no hope. They were pretty much non-existent. The name Ezekiel means God strengthens. He lived in 597 B.C. in Babylon. And things couldn't have looked more, more dark for the children of Israel, more hopeless they were slaves in a foreign land. They had no home to go back to. The nation has been dissolved. And for people like that, all their hope was lost. Look at verse 11 with me. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, they say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Church, there's people today that feel just like that. There's no hope. I have made a mess out of my life. There's no future for me. The world is full of people like that, that feel that they have no hope. But what is worse is the world is full of Christians that see them in the same way. We see people and we think there's no hope for that guy. Can God use them? 
And, and we, we turn like, we, we act like Uncle Si on Duck Dynasty. Who knows who Uncle Si is? And you ask him, and he's saying, no. No way, Jack. Huh? We see people like that. We say, is there any hope for them? Like, no. Come on, you, you just had somebody run through your mind that you think of just like that. Come on, admit it. <laughs> no. But church, we serve a God of hope. And even when things look hopeless, there is still, there is still hope, church. I hope you hear me today. He asked Ezekiel, said, what do you see? He said, I see a boneyard. Well, can they live? <laughs> when God asks you a question, let me just help you out here. It's rhetorical. He already knows the answer. And you probably don't. So the best thing to do is say, you know God. Ezekiel was smart enough to know when he said, well, can they live? He's like, well, you know. In other words, I don't think so. But I'm not God. Amen. You know God. So what does he do? He says, preach to the bones. Tell them the good news. Yeah. Preach to the bones. Yeah. And Ezekiel was obedient and he preached to the bones. Oh, and they began to, he said it was a great noise. Can you imagine a valley full now of dead? Have you ever, ever seen dry bones? So the farmer's drug an old cow out where it's died and I'm in them bones are dry, brother. The dust is falling off of them dry. And all of them starts coming together and they're rattling, shaking, rattling and rolling. The head bone connected to the neck bone and the neck bone. Right on down to the foot bone. It was a loud noise as he began to pre preach to them. They came together. He says, what do you see now? He said, I see a whole lot of dead people. Because church, there's a lot of people walking around and they got bones. Come together. They got sinews. They got skin. They got everything else. But they are dead. I see a bunch of dead people. Well, then preach to the wind. Yeah. Verse 10, he says, so I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. What is he doing? He is speaking the word of God over dead people. Church, we think we have to be some kind of a great blazing evangelist to do the will of God. There is not a person under the sound of my voice that doesn't have the power of God in you to speak life into dead spirits. Every one of you, because it's not about you. It's about this. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void. It will accomplish that which I please. It will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. And how does he send it? He sends it through you. And all you got to do is tell the Lord said. Man, I like our new house, the, the speaker of the house. I don't care how political you might think I get, I just tell it. His name is Mike Johnson. And I watched his interview and they said, well, where do you stand on this and where do you stand on that? You know what he told them? He said, go to your shelf in your house and get your Bible down and read it because that's where I stand on every issue. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Come on, we need to praise God for that. Yeah. I don't believe... I don't believe he just happened to get there. I believe that Christians have been praying yeah. 
And God said, I'm putting a man of God in that position. Because we stand on this word and when we speak it, there's life in it. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, he says, all scripture is given by the inspiration. Everybody say inspiration. inspiration. Of God. That word inspiration is theoneustos. Neustos, we get the word pneumatic from that. It means breath or breathe or wind or air. All scripture is God breathed. That's what he's saying. And so when you, when you speak the word of God, God, give me a microphone here. It's working, you guys. You cut me off back there. When you speak the word of God, you are literally speaking out the breath of God. When he told Ezekiel to speak to the, to prophesy, he is speaking the word of God and there's breath, there's power, there's life giving power in this word. And it, listen, it doesn't matter who you are, how much you know, or how much you don't know. If you can quote one scripture, there's power in it. You say, well, I don't know a whole lot, but I know that the Bible says. And when people hear that, it stirs something in them. It may stir them to anger, but it stirs something in them. If it didn't have power, it wouldn't have, why would they care? I mean, you can read Shakespeare to me, that don't bother me. But when you start quoting the word of God, there's life in it. There's power in it. Now, there's this question. Was it, was it Ezekiel's idea to give life to these dry bones or was it God's idea? It was God's idea. He is the giver of life. And church, we need to understand that God gives life to anyone that he may choose to give it to. And he may give life to someone that you think is a dry bone that would never live and they have a greater calling than you do. The church is God is here today to give hope to people that feel hopeless. People's listening to me around the world today. There's God is there with you no matter where you are. He's omnipresent to give you hope. Now, Ezekiel would not live to see the fulfillment of this prophecy. 2,500 years would pass, but on May the 14th, 1948, Israel became a political power and will be a spiritual power during the millennial reign. The fulfillment of that prophecy. What does that tell me? God works in his own time. You know, I would love to be able to witness somebody and see them come crashing to their knees and give their heart to Jesus right then and there. But it, it doesn't always work that way. It may rarely work that way. But when you sow that seed, God will give it the increase. But you're commanded to sow it. Amen? You're commanded to sow it. He told Ezekiel, preach, prophesy to them. He said, I did as I was commanded. He's not suggesting that we share the gospel with people. He's commanding us to do that. Amen? We're commanded to do it. And he will give life to people that you never thought possible. When I think of the most less likely people to do great things for God, I think I always think of this man. I, I love to talk about him. He was the, I believe, the, the greatest evangelist that the American continent has ever seen. His name was Charles Grandison Finney. He lived in the 1800s. 
from 1792 to 1875. He was a devout humanist, an antagonistic humanistic lawyer raised by an atheist. Now, Charles Finney was born in Warren, Connecticut. It was during the time of the Revolutionary War. He was one of seven children on a farm up in New York. In 1794, the Finneys moved to Hanover, which is now Kirkland, New York. Back then, it was just a wild frontier. It was the home of what was known as the Five-Nation Confederation, the Oneida Indians, the Onondaga, the Seneca, the Huron, and the Cuyahoga. Indians. It was a five-nation confederation. They lived in that area. And so they were still there during that time. And so it was frontier. He was educated at home. See, homeschooling is not a new idea. We're just getting back to our roots. Amen. And then they would have a teacher come around, just kind of catch everybody up on all of their studies and stuff. Kind of like having a tutor come in and help your homeschool students catch up on their studies. How many of you like homeschool in here this morning? It's, it's a growing trend. And I, I used to be a little bit, uh, I wasn't certain about it. But uh, the more I see, the more I like about it, you know. Now, I'm not putting down public education. It needs prayer, and it's got its place. And I, those that's in public education, I'm not here to, I'm not against you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm to help you. But we need to work on it. Amen. Now, his father was a godless man. He forbid the teaching of faith. He would not allow a Bible in his house. He would not allow anybody to talk about religion in his home. Now, later on, he was schooled at the Hamilton Oneida Academy. It was actually a school for the Indians, but it became a place of higher learning. Standing at six foot tall, six foot two inches tall, he was a, a big man, highly educated. They found out he had an excellent voice and he was an excellent cello player. And so in 1812, Finney joined the Navy. And he's in San Diego, and a prostitute approaches him. And he's a humanist. He believes and has been taught by his father that all people are intrinsically good. And he's standing there, and he can't for the life of him figure out what this woman is trying to sell him. And when it occurs to him what she is suggesting, he was so overcome with shame for her that he began to weep. He couldn't believe that a woman would lower herself to do something like that for something as, as, as meaningless as money. And she was overcome with shame and ran from his presence. But for the first time, he realized that people are not intrinsically good. It's in 1818, he began to study law. And back then, they didn't have schools to go to for law. You just kind of studied for the bar exam on your own. And as he's studying, he kept noticing all the references in Scripture because they used the book of Romans as a tool to teach law in law schools. And so it forced him to have to read the Bible in order to pass his law exam. And as he read it, it, it sparked his interest. And so for the first time, he went to church. And he went to a Presbyterian church, and he's sitting there listening to the pastor teach the students about limited atonement and selection, that some people are predestined to go to heaven and some people are predestined to go to hell, and you don't have a choice in the matter. And it angered him because he had just studied the book of Romans, and he knew that the Bible teaches free will. And so he begins to argue with the pastor because he's concerned about the souls of the children, the youth. 
And he is an, an antagonistic humanist himself. He doesn't even believe in Christianity. But on, on uh, October the 27th, 1821, on the floor of his law office with a Bible, he's, he's, he's saying, God, what about the soul's of these young people, and he said it was almost as if an audible voice said, well, what about your soul, Finney? And he said it's almost if he heard the Lord says, will you be saved now? And he said, yes, Lord. He wrote that he received the witness of his own personal salvation in his law office. He then went out into the woods and knelt down by an old log where he writes Quote, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost, waves of electricity going through and through and through me like waves of liquid love. I can hardly express the love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy, and from the love I bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart and cried, Lord, I shall die if these waves continue. I cannot bear it anymore. He returned to his law office where he was, to, uh, uh, he was scheduled to take a case to court. He handed his books over to another lawyer and said, quote, I have received a retainer from the God of heaven. Henceforth, I shall try the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went back to the church where he had been serving. Actually, when he went in there, they found out that he was an excellent cello player. So they brought him on as the minister of music. And he's an atheist leading the worship in a Presbyterian church. And there was a young lady there. She decided, I'm going to marry him. So she started praying for his salvation. She's going to pray God down on him. And so he goes back after he gets saved. He preaches to the teenagers, and a revival broke out in their church. The teenagers started coming to Christ. He was called before the board of elders. He preached to them, and three of the elders got saved. Yeah. Called another, he called together his extended family and revival broke out in his family and his whole family got saved. In his first pastorate, he would, this is the way he'd preach. He said, how many will stand with me today? Nobody stood. He said, well, how many will stay, remain in your seat and accept hell and damnation? That's the way he would preach now. The aspects that marked his ministry, he was, given, he was going to give the invitation one night and nobody responded. And so the, the, he was a visiting pastor. The pastor said, are you going to give an invitation? He said, no. I'm not giving an invitation tonight. The last thing he told him is he stood up and says, to hell with all of you. And walked out. And the pastor says, there, nobody will be back here tomorrow night. He said, they will be standing room only tomorrow night. And when he showed back up, the church was full and it was outside trying to get into the church. Pleading for another chance to receive Christ. It's the power of God just followed this man. One woman fell in a trance for 16 hours until she rose, singing praises to God. A man in Pennsylvania pointed a dueling pistol at Finney, dropped the pistol and yelled out loud, help me, help me, I'm sinking into hell. In Evans Mill, New York, a German-speaking church, one of the largest churches in the frontier, it seated 3,000 people. Now, this is in the 1800s now. 3,000 people. Finney preached through an interpreter, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And by the third night, he was preaching three services a day with standing room only in a church of 3,000 people. In Antwerp, New York, it was so corrupt that the keys to the church was kept by the local, local tavern owner. 
who refused to open the tavern for Finney in, because Finney was in town. Finally, he led the congregation to a local school where he wrote, the Lord let me loose upon them with a wonderful manner. It seemed that I could either rain heaven or hell, hell or rivers of grace. The Lord let me loose upon them, he said. A man came to Antwerp and asked Finney if he would come to Sodom, New York. How would you like to live in Sodom, New York? Anybody from Sodom, New York? <laughs> I don't Now listen, if you're offended by that, I don't mean to offend you. If you're listening on fine and you're in Sodom, New York, my name is Hunter Jernigan. You can call me at home. <laughs> so Finney went to preach in the street. They wouldn't let him in, so he preached in the street. He said, if I had had a sword in each hand, I could not have dropped them any faster. They fell unconscious in the street, rising, crying out for their souls, and revival broke out in Sodom. At the height of revival, he married the girl that had prayed for his salvation. Two days later, now he's got two days into his honeymoon, he went to Brownsville, New York for a one-week revival and stayed for four months. How many ladies would, <laughs> you're married for two days and you don't see him again for four months, right? Because they had a mandate from God. In DeCamp, New York, he, he writes, as I began to preach, I was aware that there was Methodist in the community. When two people fell out in the spirit, I, of course, assumed that they were Methodist. When I discovered that they were Presbyterian, I was amazed at the power of God. Well, what amazed me is that Methodists fell out in the spirit. That's not something you would think of today, but you have to understand that the Methodists were one time the Pentecostals of the world. There was a powerful move of the Spirit in the Methodist church when it was first birthed. I pray for an outpouring of God's Spirit in the Methodist church again. And in the Presbyterian and the Baptists and the Episcopals, all of them. We've prayed that for years. Amen. I pray God's Spirit be poured out in all of them. We're not here in competition with anybody. Huh? They're brothers and sisters in Christ. God, pour your spirit out. Pour it out on them. Now, listen, if the church down the street has got such a great revival, we have to shut our doors and go join in on them. Let's go. I want to go where the spirit's poured out. Amen. It doesn't have to be here. In the summer of 1825, the power of the Holy Spirit was so powerful that he could not even preach. He would stand, open his Bible, and the people would fall in the floor and cry for salvation. He said over and over again, God kept giving me one phrase. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The anointing is always followed by opposition. Jeannie shared the other day, salvation is free, but the anointing costs you. By 1826, opposition was fierce, usually by ministers of the gospel and particularly by ministers of his own denomination. He was accused of many things for which some were true, others were not. He said he used a seeker's room. He did do that. People seeking God, he, would, he had a room and they would just go and get before God and seek the Lord using handbills to advertise a religious meeting. <laughs> I'm like, why, why would you have an issue with that? But they did, apparently. 
Calling ministers names, he did not do that. Holding meetings in total darkness, planting people that would scream out and fall to the floor. That was a lie. He didn't do that. Holding meetings so long that the people were fatigued and the power of resistance was broken. He didn't do that either. I'm the only one that does that. One of the biggest churches in Boston, Massachusetts, was pastored by Lyman Beecher, who wrote, quote, if he comes to Massachusetts, I will fight him at the state line. If he comes to Boston, I will fight him at the city limits. If he comes to my church, I will fight him at the doorsteps. And if he comes to my pulpit, I will fight him in the pulpit. In Stevenstown, New York, the pastors were an op- was, was an, the pastor there was an open drunkard who was carrying on an open affair. Finney denounced him from the pulpit, and the pastor responded by denouncing Finney. Finney went to the pulpit the next day and said, He has not opposed me, but God. Let God deal with him. And the pastor died in his sleep that night, and a revival broke out in Stevenstown. In 1829, Finney was finally summoned from the frontier to the big city of Philadelphia, and the power of God was summoned with him. He preached, quote, There is one mediator between God and man. They returned and demanded that he preach the same sermon seven nights in a row. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, people walked out of the meeting. One man walked out of Finney's meeting and loudly proclaimed to everyone in the street, I will not yield to that man Finney, neither to any man and neither to God, at which he slipped on the curb, fell, and broke his neck. And people went back in and pleaded with Finney to give them another chance. It became his practice that when revivals did not break out, that he would pray for opposition. A town in northern Pennsylvania, the mayor urged Christians of every denomination not to attend his meetings. The report of it was carried to Finney, who prayed aloud that God would convert the mayor or remove him. As Finney prayed, the mayor dropped dead in his office and revival broke out in that northern town. The men of Rochester, New York, came to Finney and asked if he would come to Rochester. The account of that conversation was recorded in one of the man's journals. Finney asked, tell me sincerely, what is the outlook for revival of religion in Rochester, New York? He said, sir, I will be honest. The the prospect of revival in Rochester is dark indeed. Wickedness abounds. Dance halls and saloons are on every corner. Prostitution is at an all-time high. Moral life is at an all-time low. The pastors are backslidden and the churches are empty. Finney leaped to his feet and said, that is definitely the place for me. The next three months, there was a registered 10,000 converts in Rochester, New York in 1829. 10,000. He was invited to come preach at Union College. On the way, a petition came from Auburn, New York. So he went there. They were eagerly praying for a great revival. The students from Union College arrived in wagons to hear him preach, and they moved the college to that town to study at his feet. At the end of 1829, he finally received a letter from none other than Lyman Beecham, the man who said he would fight him at the state line, at the city limit, at the door of his church, and in his pulpit. Except he wasn't telling him not to come. He was inviting him to preach in his church in Boston, Massachusetts. The revival there became so huge that they finally closed all the other churches in Boston because no one was attending, and they all went to Lyman Beecher's church. Now, I read all that and give you that history. 
Because if I were here today and I was going to pick a man that would have a worldwide revival that would be spontaneously saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, it would not be an antagonistic humanist raised by an atheist. When we see people like that, we see dry bones. We wouldn't think somebody like that, God could use them. Because Christians sometimes look at people like they are dry bones. We think that there's no hope. In church, there may be some people that are sitting here today or listening to me, and you have somebody in your life, or maybe you yourself, you feel like there's no hope for them. It might be a husband that's abusive. You think there's no hope for him. A wife that's in rebellion. Children that has forsaken the teachings of their parents, the Christian faith. They've gone into like the prodigal and they've gone and they're backslid. You think there's no hope for them. Church, there's always hope. Whether it's a mother, a father, an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter what dry bones they may appear to be to you. There is always hope. We serve a God of hope. Now, God instructed Ezekiel the same thing that he instructs us. First thing is we need to recognize the condition of humanity. Ezekiel 37, 2, he said, And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, they were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. Church, we need to see the condition of the people in our life. They're dead. I don't care how good they may appear. Good people are still dead people. Only godly people really live. Without the Spirit of God, you're dead. And it doesn't matter how good you appear. When he said, preach to them, he preached. They all came together and he said, what do you see now? He said, dead people. They look good. They got all their everything. But they're still dead. Without Christ, they're dead. And it doesn't matter who you have in your life and how good they may appear. Good people are still dead people. Isaiah 46, 40, 64 verse 6 says, but we are all like unclean things. We are all, our, our righteousness are like filthy rags. Yes. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquity like the wind has taken us away. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is the way of death. There's a lot of people that have good principles. They have good morals. They may have better principles than you. Maybe some of them have better morals than you. There are people that look at the Christian faith and say, why do I want to be like them? I live a better life than some Christians I know. Huh, have you ever met anybody like that? Some of you may have been like that. You may be like that this morning. They call themselves a Christian and they do this and this and this, and I don't even do that. Why would I want to be a Christian? Well, don't use them as your example of what Christian faith ought to be like. Because sometimes they conveniently pick out the guy that's a hypocrite and say, well, look, the Apostle Paul, he said, you watch me, you do what I do. That's right. How many can live that life? So whatever you see me do, you do. Because if you don't, you should. Right? He said, we are an epistle read by all men. That's what I was telling you when we dedicated this little baby this morning. These kids are watching you, and what you say is one thing, but what you do speaks louder than what you say. 
And so there's people that have good principles. They have good morals. They're kind. They're thoughtful. And they think that that makes them good. But Paul writes and says, there is none that is good. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, look at it. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Until we meet Jesus, we are just dead bones. Ezekiel could not intercede for Israel until he first saw the condition of Israel. Good people are still dead people without the breath of God. The second thing we need to do is you must believe. Everybody say believe. You have to believe that God is still the God of hopeless causes. Because we look at people, we think, no, no way, Jack. God doesn't see them that way, church. And we have to believe that God is the God of hopeless causes. The person that I would least think they would ever come to Jesus, God can touch them. If I don't believe that, I quit preaching today. He can touch them. It's got nothing to do with you and how good you can witness to them. It's the power that is in his word. It's God that touches them, not you. You're just commanded to sow the seed. You're commanded to tell them, the Bible says. And then let God do the rest. You don't have to beat them over the head with it. The Bible says. And be kind about it. I'm not telling you to be mean-spirited. Because you're saying it out of love and compassion for him. At least you should. Verse 3 says, and he will say to me, son of man, can these bones live? And he said, God, you know, you know. It wasn't Ezekiel's idea. It was God's idea to speak into these people's life. And we cannot be the judge of who God will touch and who he will put his spirit in. Any dry bone can live. Charles Finney. How many of you remember guys that went to uh, the... the, um, the men's retreat, and, and I think it was Sam Rothkogel told about bringing the prostitutes into his church. Was that Sam Rothkogel, Joe? Do you remember? What was it? Hugo. Chuko. Chuko. He, he sent his, some ladies in his church. He said, I want you to go to the street and bring me, I think it was six prostitutes. Was it six? So I left. The men was telling me about it. I had to get back early, so they told me about it when, I, when they got back. He said, I want you to go find me six prostitutes. And the lady said, do you, do you, what do you want me to do, Pastor? <laughs> go find me six prostitutes. Bring them to the church. He said, all right. So they went out and brought in six prostitutes. He said, how much do you get? How much do you get? How much do you? And he paid them all. They said, all right, what do you want us to do? He said, follow me. And so he walks in, and they go in a room, and they've got a table set with the finest of everything. He pulls out a chair and said, have a seat. And he sits them down and has the ladies of the church serve them and said, we just wanted you to, to be served like a lady, the way you ought to be treated. And out of that experience, several of those ladies came to Christ. One of them became the head of his women's ministry. Church, God can touch any dry bone. And it's not up to us who he touches and what he gives them a ministry to do. It's not up to us. That's up to God. 
John chapter 7, verse 30 says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Prostitute? Charles Finney? Amen. John Newton. I mean, who knows who John Newton is? He's the man that wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know why he wrote that song? He was a slave trader. He was the captain of a ship. He'd go get hundreds of slaves. They'd die. He'd just throw them overboard like, like they were trash. And when, he, when God touched his life, he looked back at what he'd done. He's like, how could God ever forgive me? But he does. His grace is amazing that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. It's not up to us. It's up to God. John 3, 16 says, Whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Revelation 22, 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride says, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Because God is a God of lost causes. You have to see the condition of the world. You have to believe that God is a God of lost causes. Third thing is you got to speak to them bones. Everybody say, speak to them bones. Come on, say it. Speak to them bones. Don't just wish about it. Don't think about it. Speak. We have one of the most amazing powers in the universe. It's the power of speech. And there is power in your words. And there's even more power in his words. Speak to the bones. Verse four, he said, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, old dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Church, every person in here is a preacher. I'm a pastor. I pastor the flock, but you're all preachers. We're all called to preach. Every one of us, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you are commanded to preach. Prophesy. The word prophesy just simply means to proclaim. The Bible says... The fourth thing, there's only five. The fourth thing, call upon the Spirit to do what you cannot do. Because praying breaks the stronghold of spiritual death. Verse 9, it says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. What is the breath? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Remember that? He's telling Nicodemus. Says it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it goes. You call out. To, this is a, a, an image of calling up on the Holy Spirit to do what you can't do. Yeah. Something I do every single Sunday when I get into this pulpit. Holy Spirit, you do what I cannot do. I do everything I can in the natural and beyond that it's up to God what he does with it. Yeah. It's the only way I can sleep at night. Prophesy, breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. You can preach. You can show them the written word. You can live it in front of them every day. But only the Holy Spirit can touch their heart. 
they may say, I don't want to hear you preaching. I had a lady, I went and bought a four-wheeler, and I, I'm, I'm talking to the man who's selling me the four-wheeler, and his, his wife walks up. And uh, naturally, I'm looking for an angle, you know, to try to say something about, about Jesus and about the condition of his soul. I'm looking for an angle, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but she's like, well, if y'all are going to be preaching, I'm going to the house. And he, I could see the embarrassment on the man's face. I said, it's, it's okay, it's okay, it's all right. I said, ma'am, I'm not going to offend you. We're, we're not here to preach. I just like to talk about Jesus, that's all. Go ahead. I know what it was. I said, can I pray with you? Because that, that is just an end. Very rarely, if you ask to pray for somebody, will they say no? And brother, you say all kinds of things in a prayer that you can't say to their face that's offensive. Right? You're not really, I mean, you are praying, but you're, preaching while you're praying. Amen. It works. Try it. And you'll be amazed if you step out in faith, God will give you some things to pray and you realize God just showed up here. Huh? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Step out in faith and trust God. If you do big things for him, come on, what? He'll do big things for you. And so I said, I said can I pray with you? And she's like, well, if y'all are going to be preaching, I'm going to the house. I'm like, it's okay. It's, it's all right. Ma'am, I don't mean to offend you. I just want to pray with you. I want to speak a blessing over you. Before she got out of the sound of my voice, I'm praying, right? She didn't give it. She tried to get away, but she could, she could hear. I'm praying loud enough she can hear me all the way back to the house. Oh, yeah. Because they may not want to listen to your preaching, but they can't outrun your prayer. James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's power. There's power in prayer. Prayer is powerful. It releases things in the spirit realm. Remember when Daniel prayed? He prayed for 21 days, and on the 21st day came the angel of the Lord, Michael, came and says, I heard you the first day, Daniel. Remember that? I heard you the first day. But the prince of Persia, that was a high-ranking demon power over the Persian Empire. He said, the prince of Persia withstood me. And after I leave here, I must face the prince of Grisha. You know, well, what gave that angel power in the realm of the spirit? Daniel's praying continuously for 21 days. There's a book out there called, the, called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Anybody ever read it? Raise your hand real high if you've ever read it. This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. I highly recommend that book. It's a fictitious book, but it's built on biblical principles. And it's about the power of prayer and what happens in the realm of the spirit when you're praying. It's an awesome book. I'd love to see him put it into a movie. I think it would be great. The fifth thing, the last thing, finally. You have to believe that the faithfulness to God produces great things. You got to believe that if you're faithful to God, if you do big things for him, he'll do big things for you. You step out believing that. Because listen, church, sometimes you're going to get what you believe for. Right? I had to learn that. I was the type of guy who was always expecting the hammer to fall. Everybody's like that. Everything's going great. When's something going to go wrong? Don't raise your hand. Because you're coming in agreement. Don't do that. But I was that guy. Everything's going too good. All right, what, what's getting ready to break? What, when's the hammer going to fall? Well, you know what would happen? Something would break. Something would fall. Why? 
That's what I'm believing for. And then I was reading scripture one day. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right on down. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm like, Bernie, you, you, you're believing for something bad to happen. That's why it's happening. You have to believe that goodness and mercy follows me every day of my life. And so I started believing goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. You know what started happening? Goodness and mercy started following me every day of my life. Sometimes you're going to get, well, all the time, you're going to get what you believe for. And if you believe that God will do, he'll be faithful to produce great things for you. When you do great things for him, he will do it. Faith moves God. Verse 10, he said, so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet in exceeding great army. God will do miracles if we will obey his command. What was his command? And again, Matthew 7, 28. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, God will do miracles for you. He'll do miracles for you. If you will just serve him and believe him. Sharing the word of God is powerful. It's a two-edged sword. And it will change lives. Change the life of Charles Finney. Change the life of those hookers. Huh? Change the life of old bones. Change the life of John. The, the, um, John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. Believing God, church, and standing on your faith, God will do great things to you. I'm going to close with this story, and then I'm going to wrap this up. It's a story of C. Scott Gain. He says, if you've, ever, if you've ever clung to a child near death, you know the dramatic fork in the road. You either give in almost totally to the despair, the fear, the hopelessness, knowing death is imminent, Realizing no miracle cure is coming, you are fighting a losing battle. Or you believe that there is a God over all things. He has all authority. You believe that he wants good things for your children. You believe that some things that, are, that transpire here on this awful earth uh, are not his will because he is a good God. You believe he has a good plan for man and a good will. You believe if you could just have an audience with this good God and make your case that he who is able will change the course of your situation and your child will rise from the bed of sickness and live. Lying on a cot at midnight at the midnight hour in Arkansas Children's Hospital on Thursday, May the 14th, 1987, that's when I decided that was the character of the God I served. In-laws all around me, jibber-jabbering sick platitudes, let's hold hands and give God thanks for giving us little Clinton for seven days as we now give him back to God. God needs another angel. I want you to know I didn't hold hands. 
and stand in any family circle of prayer. I was too busy doing battle with the devil. Then going back to the throne room to give the father an operating report. I had no pride. If I lost the battle, I had already had a, a speech prepared. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. You did not do this. But even if they slay me, yet will I serve you. I get confused. I get discouraged. But you are my God. There is no other. I worship you today in the hour of my loss and grief in Jesus' name. Then at 3.30 a.m. on Friday, May the 15th, 1987, I stood with the Holy Spirit beside me, surrounded by doubters and unbelievers, not a single person of faith, everyone giving me the most pathetic look I'd ever seen in my life as I demanded a bottle of formula so I could feed my yet unconscious newborn son as the Holy Spirit had instructed me to. It was a lot of trouble, but the nurse procured one for me. It was like a dying person's final request granted. And when the nipple touched Clinton's lips, his eyes popped open and he just about sucked the bottle inside out. He drank two and a half of them. And I didn't say, I told you so. I said, God told me so. Would you stand with me, please? So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. Isaiah 55, 11. You should memorize this. I memorized this verse in Bible college. They put me in, in, in charge of teaching a, a uh, youth Sunday school class. <laughs> and just because these are Bible students, children in this class, a lot of them, that was a tough class to teach. And in our lesson one day, I came across this, and it just illuminated to me. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God will do miracles if you will just obey his command. He did it in the life of Ezekiel's vision. He did it in the life of Finney. He did it in the life of this lady's son. And church, he will do it for you. God can give life to any dead thing. God can soften any hard heart. People that everyone else has given up on, God can breathe life into them. So I don't know who's here this morning. If you're a, life, if you're a lost person this morning and you feel hopeless, God sent me here today to tell you that you're not without hope. God can touch you and transform your life and make something so beautiful out of it. He took a prostitute and put her over the women's ministry. Praise God. Praise God. That, that's just amazing to me. People may look at you and say, he'll never come to Christ. She'll never come to Christ. They're unreachable. 
but God wants to touch you. And if you just let him touch you, God will transform you. He will breathe life into your dead body. You'll become a living soul. You may be like Charles Finney. You're trusting in your goodness. But 202 years ago, on October the 27th, 1821, on the floor of his office with nothing but his Bible in his hand, he heard it almost as if the Lord was saying, will you be saved now? And he said, yes, Lord. God still makes that call to every lost soul. Will you be saved now? And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. I want you to come into my heart and save me. And he will save you, the Bible says, to the uttermost. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want that life breath from the Holy Spirit to come into my body. Will you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Anyone in here. I'm not a Christian, but I want to become a Christian today. either you've resisted the Holy Spirit or you're a follower of Christ. And if you are, today God has shown you the condition of the world. There's none that does, does good. No, not one. And good people are still dead people. And they can't hear, the Bible says, without a preacher. So then God says to you, will you go? Will you prophesy to the dead bones? Will you speak life into the dead? Because if you don't, who will? Everybody look this way and listen to me. I committed my life to Christ when I was 19 years old, just before my 20th birthday. I met this young lady, we married, we've been serving God from that day till this, 49 years. I've tried to share the gospel with people. There's been times that I should have that I didn't. I'm not, gonna, I'm not perfect in this either. But I've dedicated my life to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. But church, there's people that I will never speak to that's in your sphere of influence. There's people that nobody will reach out to that's in your sphere of influence. Nobody will reach out to them with what I've shared this morning. And if you don't, who will? This is a command from God. And I believe God sent me here today to encourage all of us. We need to be about the Father's business. And what is that? Bringing souls into the kingdom. You say, I can't do that. It's not about you. The Bible says... That's all you've got to learn and learn what it says. And listen, if you'll spend time learning it, when you get in a situation where somebody's going through something, God will quicken to your spirit a verse that will speak to the very situation that they're going through. Well, all I can tell you is the Bible says, and it's life to their spirit. And if you don't do it, who will? And God is asking you this morning, will you go? 
Will you demand a bottle of milk to a dying baby? Everybody else says it's dead, it's hopeless, can't help it. You're like, no, give me a bottle, give me a bottle now of the Word of God and stick it to their lips and watch life come into their body. When everybody else says it won't work, will you prophesy to the bones? How many take that challenge this morning? Huh? Come on, how many takes that challenge this morning? Lift it high. Lord, we take the challenge today to speak life, oh God, to a dead world. They're dead all around us. They're walking dead and they don't even know it. And Lord, you've put in us the word of life. Lord, your light is in our heart. Oh God, help us to let it shine. God, help us to speak it out with the authority of your word, believing that it's going to make a difference, Lord. Believing, God, that you're a good God and you do great things, Lord, for those who do great things for you. As we step out in faith, Lord, and speak your word, Lord, may it just bleed breath, oh God, into their spirit. And I know that it will because your word has said that it will. And we receive that right now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, praise God. I'm going to wrap this up. The worship team is, we, we started over a year ago. We come in praising God. We go out praising God. The altar is open. If you have any need for prayer whatsoever, it doesn't matter what it is. There's people here to pray with you. We'd be more than glad to join you in prayer. So the altar is open while the worship team sings.
How many here, you, you have a, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, somebody that you know that you've been praying for to come to Christ and they have not responded yet? All right, I want you to raise your hand real high. Okay. You've been praying for them now. You literally have been praying for them. Okay. If you haven't, how many is going to start praying for them? Okay. All right, I want you to, I want you to hear this now. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man and a righteous woman, it avails much. Don't be moved by what you see. What you see will lie to you. This will never lie to you. If this says it avails much, I don't care what I see. Well, I've prayed for them and nothing's happened. Oh, yes, it has. You just aren't seeing it. If the effectual fervent prayers that I pray avails much, then something is happening. Believe that. Stand on that. Trust in that. I don't know how it's going to turn out or when it's going to turn out. I just know that your word is yes and amen. It's true. And you told me if I pray, it will accomplish things. Amen? So whoever that person is, we're going to pray for them again right now. If you've got somebody you're praying for, just lift your hand. God knows who it is. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we come in agreement, Lord, right now that that person, Lord, you see every single hand and you know exactly who they are, where they are, what they're going through, what they're doing. God, you know what it takes to get hold of them, Lord. And God, we're not giving you instructions as to how to do this or even when to do it, Lord. We are just simply saying, Lord, bring them back to you, oh God, or bring them to you if they've never known you. Lord, if they've gone astray, bring them back, God. Bring the prodigal home, Lord. Bring the prodigal home, Lord. Lord, if they've never known you, Father, I pray that you reveal yourself to them in such a way, God, that they say, yes, Lord, I will be saved now, Lord, we pray for them in agreement right now that great things are being accomplished according to your word, which is true. Now we receive that. We stand in faith and believe that now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could come together today. Lord, open your word and just feast, Lord, on your word. You have set a table before us today. And God, we have dined on your word. God, I pray that it gives us life. And Lord, we take that life out and share it with others now. In Jesus' name, Lord, I speak a blessing now over the body of Christ, over every home that is represented here, Lord. Strengthen the family, Lord. Strengthen the family, Lord. Husbands, wife, parents, their children, siblings, one with each other, Lord. God, make their home, Lord, a refuge, Lord, an escape from the world, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, a place where the Holy Spirit resides, a place where the Holy Spirit is in charge. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray a special prayer for those who's traveling their journey alone, young men, young women that's looking for their mate. Lord, I pray that you make their paths cross, help them to find each other. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church.